Okay. Psalm 145. That's where we've been spending this month. And today and Wednesday night will be the last two messages from this psalm. All right. Wednesday night, our Thanksgiving Eve service. And uh, we will wrap up our series then. So I invite you to come and join us. Seven o'clock. We have a, a wonderful time of preparing our hearts for being thankful people. I think it's a great idea. Um, of course, I set it up, so it is a good idea. Uh, but we're doing that Wednesday night. Okay. Psalm 145. We're going to read through it. I'm going to read through it. I want you to follow along. And I want you to, I don't know if this is ask your heart a question today or not. I'm just going to set it before you. Because when we approach God's Word, how do we approach it? Do we, do we go into a place of where somebody's going to teach or preach or such like that? And are we there just to have the experience to go through the words, to do the time, to get it done, to say, I did this Sunday thing? We go on our way. We could easily set it out somewhat like a ritual. Or are we preparing our heart to say, Lord, I'm here to listen. And I have a privilege here. Do you know what your privilege is today? Number one, you have a copy of God's Word in your hand. Do you know how absolutely special that is? (laughs) What a remarkable thing. I mean, we're living in a culture where you've got how many in your house? Lots of them on the shelf. In the car, places here and there, the little apps on your phones too. It's everywhere. But what a privilege it is to have it. And there's one thing even greater. And you say, what could that be? You have the privilege of knowing God. Not just hearing about Him. Not just saying, yeah, they talk about Him at church. But to know Him. To know Him. In a real, personal relationship. We're going through this psalm today. I'm going to read to it. And I want you to notice that it is speaking about how great he is. It is. All the way through here, it speaks of his greatness. And we have a response to that. And I want you to investigate as we go through where your heart is today. Psalm 145. It's a psalm of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious Splendor of your majesty and all your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundance, goodness, and and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness, kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power and make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall, raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who loves him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Heavenly Lord, we come before you in prayer. What a privilege that is, too. What a terrific psalm this is. What a beautiful theme for our hearts to go and recite. You are so great. So great. And we have the privilege of reading that today. We have the privilege of knowing that today. And we have a responsibility to open our mouths and praise you. And I pray, Lord, as we walk through this today, you might do your great work. You do great work all the time. Aim it our way, we pray. And accomplish much in our hearts. For we want to come from this place different. Different because we've spent time with you. Impress that upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great is the Lord. Verse number 3 said that. As a matter of fact, a lot of the verses said that. Great is the Lord. That is a beautiful theme. And we've been working on this. And I confess to you right off, and I confess to you still, my words are not adequate to express his greatness. All of our words combined can't do it. For he far exceeds, and that's the the nature of this whole statement, he far exceeds anything we attempt to use to describe him. For we cannot measure him. His greatness, and that's the nature of the word great is that it's far beyond, far beyond in his actions and in his character when we seek to discover who the Lord is in every single category he's greater than what we could come up with. He exceeds. He exceeds our needs. He exceeds our ability to comprehend. Like I said so many times, if we want to measure him, he is bigger. If we go to extremes in length, he is longer. If we go to amount, he is far more. If we go to height, he is higher. If we go to strength, he's more powerful than what we could conceive in our minds. In wisdom, he exceeds the wisest that we could ever, ever imagine. You mentioned the attribute, he exceeds. He excels. 
Not only what we as human beings could set up in comparison to him, he goes beyond, but he even goes beyond our comprehension to do it. You set up a scale. Use any instrument you want. And there is no scale and no instrument that can measure or encompass the greatness of our Lord. Can't do it. So, why do we do it? Why do we search out what's unsearchable? Because this is where we need to be. Because our God doesn't merely meet the measure of our understanding. He greatly exceeds it. And we need a God like that. In his character and also in his actions. This psalmist, David, is writing up thoughts. And he says, I've tried to understand the greatness of my Lord and it's unsearchable. I kind of liken it to uh, trying to measure the ocean with a spoon. That's where we are. Just so you know. I don't want us to go away frustrated. I just want us to go away and say, wow, what a great God we have. Because that's who we are. Children of His. And His kindness to us is incredible. We have been noting here, not going through every verse and every thought and every phrase, because you know that would take 20 years. But, to hit some highlights as we go through about what he is doing. He is this. He is that. He is this. We're hitting a few of those. We saw that in verse 8 and 9 when we said, He is gracious. He is merciful. We saw in verse number 9 as well, He is good. We talked about that a couple weeks back. In verse uh, number 14 through 16, He sustains. He props us up. Isn't that a great little term? He props us up. We talked about his sustaining ability, how he raises us up and gives us food and satisfies the desires that we have. We saw that. Last time we talked about he is righteous in verse number 17. And he is kind. That's not at the expense of the other. Right? He is always righteous. He is always kind. Even when the pieces don't fit right. (laughs) We say, there's something missing here. Oh, that's our perspective. Do you know how you see life? Just a side note. It's not in my notes, by the way. Just hit me. This is my favorite part of one of the Corinthian letters. In 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter, when you get toward the end of that, is as now we see through a glass darkly. You remember that passage? Say, what is that? Well, the, the picture of that is this. You got a mirror on the wall. Let's imagine it's in your bathroom right now. Okay, you, you see the mirror on the wall? And here, you go over and reach and snap off the corner. Now, I don't recommend it. It doesn't look good after that. But just imagine. You snap off the corner. You just got a little fragment of that mirror. And then use it to guide yourself through your day. You can't look at anything but what's in that corner of a mirror. Of course, you have to walk backwards everywhere you go because it's showing you what's behind you. But that's the limitation of what we know. That's all we can see. I can't wait for the day, as Paul says, when we get to heaven and he turns us around. 
And he says, see what you've been looking at? It's like, wow, that's huge. We just have a fragment. David's writing this. He says, I just have a fragment. I'm trying to comprehend the incomprehensible God in these words. And what he is is far beyond what we say. We say, but I don't understand all of it. No, we don't. That's why he's so great. He gives us a fragment to work with. And he says, now trust me with the rest. Can we? I'm going to challenge you with verse 18 and 19 today. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Let's just take the first couple of words. All of this is big. But just a couple of words here. He is near. He is near. We've already seen, when we talked about His graciousness, in every way the Lord is gracious. You all agree with that, right? You don't have trouble with that one, do you? The Lord is gracious in every way. In every action He does, He is gracious. He is never less than gracious. If I talked about His mercy today and I said, the Lord is merciful, you all agree with that. And you would say, in every way, He's merciful. In every action, He is merciful. He's never less than merciful. His mercy is never diminished because of some other attribute in operation. Matter of fact, here's the thing, you ready? All of his attributes are in operation all the time. Mercy doesn't just lose some power because it's being exerted somewhere else. <laughs> we talk about the Lord is good. I like that one. I like to emphasize that because that's not seen, it's not a big theological word, good. It's a little word, good. But the Lord is good. You want to have a good exercise, go into the scripture and see how many times it says it. The Lord is good. He is good all the time. In every way, He is good. He never is less than good. Right? He's always good. The Lord is right. Isn't He? How often? He is always right. Is he ever less than right? No. Well, pick the attribute, folks. Kind. The Lord is kind. He's never less than kind. He's always kind. Because he's great at all these things. He's not less than any one of these departments. Now, what if it doesn't make sense? What if it doesn't make sense what happened this week? What if it, that doesn't make sense in the whole scheme of what pastor is talking about here? The Lord is gracious. Yes. Was He this past week? Yes. Was He merciful? Yes. Was He good? Yes. Was He right? Yes. Was He kind? Yes. Yes. Well, why doesn't he tell us what's going on? 
Why does he let us just believe that and then experience this and say, I don't know how it measures together. I don't know how it works. I think that's to test our faith. That's a challenge of our faith. Do we trust him? Bring it to verse 18. He is near. He is near. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. There is something in theological circles we call omnipresence. Isn't that a great word? Omnipresence. What does that mean? He's everywhere? Really? You stop. Now, wait, Pastor, don't ask me that question. Um, he is everywhere. He is everywhere. Omniscience means this. Omniscience means that God is everywhere present with his whole being at all times. Psalm 139. Let's go back there. You got a bookmark, set it right there, your bulletin or whatever. You're just a few pages away. Psalm 139, start in verse 7. Let's just walk through a few verses here. 7 through 11. There's a good handful. Where can I go from your spirit? asked David. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in... And you say, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. That says Sheol in the New American Standard Version. You might have a different word there. Death. You might even have the word hell. And he's like, ooh. It's talking about the grave. Right? If I make my bed in the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn... And I dwell in the remotest part of the sea. Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. We can't stop there. Verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. By the way, he saw you when you were being formed as well, because he formed you, the next verse says. Omnipresence. Is there any place, David asked, that I can go to escape the presence of my God? No, he's exploring some options here. He says, no, I can't go anywhere. I can't go anywhere. Because God's omnipresence is not limited by space. And it's not limited by speed. And it's not affected by darkness. In this definition, omnipresence does not mean that God's being is diffused throughout the universe. Like part of him is here and part of him is there and part of him is there. He's kind of spread out a little bit here and there. Part of it. But the reality is his whole being is everywhere present. The presence of the Lord, you ready for this? Concerning the believer, where is he? 
You got it. Here. You ready to get blown away? The presence of the Lord is in you as a believer in Christ. In you. Ephesians. No, Galatians. Let's start with Galatians and Ephesians. Keep your bookmark. Galatians 2 verse 20. I grew up with this verse. Saw it every single day. My mom wrote it on her bedroom mirror in lipstick. She wanted to she wanted to know this verse and see it every day. And every time as kids we walked past that bedroom door, sure enough, there was that mirror and there was that verse. You say, What was it? Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but underscore this. This is very important. Christ lives in me. Just wrap yourself around that one for a while and understand it. Christ lives in me. It doesn't mean He visits. He lives in me. Wow. And so what do I do? So the life that I live, I now live that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave Himself up for me. You need to write that on your mirror too. Christ lives in me. Will that change the way you live a day if you had that in your thought all the time? Wow. Go to Ephesians. told you I'll go there too. Chapter 3. We looked at this prayer a couple weeks ago from verse 14. Verse 21, and I want to take it again uh, to you and show you a couple more things. Beauty of this prayer. Ephesians 3.14 starts this way. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, that he would grant you, this is what he wants, according to the riches of his glory. So it's, the price tag's already been covered. God's got it all right, the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, where? In the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, <laughs> that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You say, how can that happen? Well, it's because of verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able, <laughs> God could do this, to even do far more exceedingly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works where? Within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Paul's prayer here is not that God will be with you. Paul's prayer is that you would understand that He is. There's a difference. See, God is omnipresent. We made that point. But what is the point of Psalm 145 
this verse that we're looking at, verse 18, the Lord is near. Is there a difference? Let me illustrate it this way. You get on an airplane with maybe 200 other people. You probably sit beside somebody, right? I mean, how likely are you to have a seat all to yourself anymore? You sit beside somebody. You are near, even though you may not even know them. You're near in proximity. You're beside them. But are you near to that person? The use of the word? We say, this person is very near to me. They may not be standing right beside you or sitting in the seat in the airplane. They may be all the way across the country or in another part of the world. And you say, that's one of the nearest people to me in my life. You know the difference now, don't you? Because we could talk about nearness as far as place is concerned. We could talk about nearness as time is concerned. You know, like the time is going very quickly. It's near 12 o'clock. We've got to fix that clock. Um, or we could talk about the nearness as to the personal relationship between two. The nearness. Concerning the character and the actions of our Lord, He is near to you in place and in time. He is omnipresent. But is He near to you in a personal relationship? There's a difference. What if God gave you an invitation to walk with Him? By that, you know our Christian terminology. We pull it from Scripture. It's talking about your life, isn't it? It's your behavior. It's your everyday course of all you do. And God says, walk with me. Do you jump at it? Yeah. I want to do that. I I want my life to be characterized as walking with God. There was a man who did that. In the Old Testament, his name was Enoch. Enoch walked with God. I've always said, how that sounds impressive. Wouldn't that be a nice little statement that somebody could say about us someday? They walked with God. What if God would invite you to say, would you walk with me? I'm going to guess that you folks in this room would not turn him down. You wouldn't say, nah, sorry. Do you know that people in Scripture did? I just finished reading Jeremiah. Boy, am I glad I was done with that book. I enjoyed it, but boy, is this a tough one to swallow. All right? Go with me to chapter 42 for a minute. Jeremiah chapter 42. Yes, this is the same guy that watched the whole thing in the book of Lamentations we talked about last month. He watched his city burning down. He watched all the disaster going on. Here's here's where it is in chapter 42. Chapter 42 now, Jeremiah is on the other side of all this. The city's gone. A lot of the people are carried off. There's a small group of people left. Nebuchadnezzar set up a governor to oversee them. The governor's been assassinated. It's really a bad story. 
And there's Jeremiah and a group of other people there. And this, this one guy says, you know, I'm not going to stay here anymore. I'm going to lead the people out of this. We're done with Jerusalem. We're done with this. It's all bad news. Let's just move to Egypt. And that's where the story starts. Is that they, they decided, let's move to Egypt. And there's poor Jeremiah standing there and says, you know, God doesn't want you to do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So they had this discussions. Chapter 42. When all the commanders of the forces, Jahanan, the son of Kariah, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people, both small and great, approached, and they said to Jeremiah the prophet, watch their words, all right? Please let our petition come before you and pray to us, to the Lord your God, that is for all this remnant, because we are left but a few out of the many, and your eyes now see us, that the Lord may, your God, may tell us in the way in which we should walk and the things we should do. Isn't that a great prayer request? Jeremiah prayed to God so that he could tell us what do we want to do. How are we supposed to walk? What do you want us to do? Just tell us, God. We're ready. We're listening. Tell us. Jeremiah the prophet responds and says, I heard you. Behold, I'm going to pray to the Lord your God in accordance to your words. And I will tell you the whole message which the Lord will answer you. I will not keep back a word from you. And they said to Jeremiah, Well, great! May the Lord be his true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance to the whole message with which the Lord your God will send us you to us. Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God. You heard that, didn't you? We will listen to the voice of the Lord our God, to whom you, we are sending you, that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. Did they get their theology right so far? Yes. Listen to him and it's going to go out pretty good. All right, trust him. They said, okay, we can do that. So, ten days pass. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Verse number 8. He caused for Jehanan and the rest of the commanders. You can see that in verse number 8. Verse number 9. He says to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him, if you will indeed stay in this land, God is speaking, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. I will relent concerning the calamity I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord. For, watch this, verse 11, I am with you. Is that what he said? I am with you to save you, to deliver you from his hand. I will also show you compassion so that you so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your own soil. All right, what in that is something you'd say, I don't want that. Which part of that do you reject? If you were standing in your, their shoes right there, would you say, uh, I'll take four out of five of those. All of them were great, weren't they? I'll be with you. No, 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 the way, I'm here. You want to know how to walk? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. 
Verse number 13. But if, you say, if you're going to say, we will not stay in this land, so as not to listen to the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there. Then, in that case, listen to the word of the Lord. O remnant of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you really set your mind to enter Egypt and go there and reside there, then the sword, which you are afraid of, will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine, about which you are anxious, will follow closely after you there in Egypt, and you will die there. So that all the men who set their mind to go to Egypt to reside there will die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. There will be no survivors or refugees from that calamity which I'm going to bring on them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, As my anger and my wrath have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you who enter Egypt. Now what are you thinking right now? Not a good idea to leave, right? Bad idea to leave. Matter of fact, he says in verse 42, The Lord has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah. Do not go into Egypt. You should clearly understand that today I've testified against you. For you have only deceived yourself. For it is you who sent me to the Lord your God, who said, Pray to us, the Lord our God, and whatever the Lord says, tell us so, and we will do it. So I told you. I told you. Jump down to chapter 43, verse 1. As soon as Jeremiah, whom the Lord their God had sent, had finished telling all the people all the words that the Lord their God said, that is, all these words, Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, Jehanan, the son of Kariah, and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, you will not enter Egypt to reside there. Do you know how to summarize all this? They said, no. God gave them the opportunity to walk with him. He said, I'll be near you. I will protect you. I will have that fellowship with you where we'll be together. I will keep you safe. Trust me. And they said, no. They said, no. You're sitting there saying, let me talk to them for a minute. They said, no. How can you turn down that? Does that amaze you? That stuns me from a group of people looking at their city in ashes and all they've been through and knowing every word the Lord has said is coming true. And now they say, no. With their words, they say, we will hear, we will do, we will walk. And just as soon as Jeremiah is done talking about the greatness of the Lord, they turn it off. They say, no. I don't know what kind of person that is. What kind of person is that? That can hear the message of the Lord and the message of His greatness and act on a Monday that He's not near. How could a person act like that? Albert Barnes wrote this in his little commentary. Not little, it's big actually. 
The Lord is nigh unto all that call upon Him. There is a sense in which He is nigh to all, for He is everywhere present. But there is a special sense which He seems to be near to us, in which He manifests Himself to us, in which He gives us evidence of His presence. It is in prayer. It's in praise. It's in ordinances. It's in the gracious interpositions in our behalf, in the peace and the joy that we have in communion with Him. Have you ever read before these phrases, the Lord is near to them that are of a broken heart? Some of you have that underlined, Psalm 34 in your Bible, verse number 18. You know, that's an interesting phrase. The Lord is near unto them that have a broken heart. Because that's the exact place where we question His nearness the most. Isn't it? When our hearts are absolutely shattered, give the tragedy. The world is very good at voicing it. Every time there's a tragedy, the first question is this. Where was God? Where was God? As if our God was on vacation, He was absent, He didn't care. He wasn't present. He's not sovereign. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not strong enough to handle it. He just kind of hides in the moment of need. That's their perspective. And I hate it when we act like that too. When we face things, difficult things, hard things, we act like the Lord's not near. We know theologically He's ever present. But how many times we think, if it's not going well with me, He must not be with me. If it's not going well, He must not be near. I joked about this several times, and it's just because I remember hearing it so many times when I'd listen to the NASCAR races on Sunday afternoons. They'd always interview the winner. And so many times that winner on the radio would say, well, the Lord was with us today. I said, what about the second place guy? That was my first thought. What about the guy who came in the last? Was the Lord not there? He's only with the winner. That's what our world thinks. Do you know that? God's only with the winner. How many of us are the winners all the time? So, if we base our theology on situation, we're going to start to question His greatness. But if we base our theology on His greatness, then we could walk through the situation. We may not understand it. But there's an opinion out there that God is not enough. And I I contend with that. I say, He is more than enough. What is true is what He says. And He says who He is. And He says what He does. We respond to that truth. And we're supposed to call on Him in truth. Isn't that what Psalm 145 says? Look at it. It's right there in the verse. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Let's not disguise this. God says, speak the truth. Who am I? What have I done? You know that. Answer sincerely from the truth. Because He sees your heart. He knows if you know Him. He knows if you believe Him. 
Do you know what the opposite of all this is? It's a beautiful little word called hypocrisy. Somebody who acts one way and in, in reality is another. And we could do that from both sides, I'm sorry to say. We could come here and say, yeah, 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 pastor, that's great. And Monday morning, act like it's not. Or we can do it the other way around. We can say, no, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. And yet, you know your heart is yearning for his nearness. Because a heart is made to do that. He doesn't want us just to walk through the rituals, you know. He wants us to know that he is near. Do you want him near? Do you want him near? J. Bernard McGee stated this. He, did, he always just said it the way it was. The reason some people go to church service is because they use the ritual to escape a personal confrontation with God. Think about that. There are many folks, he says, who are stiff-arming God. So they're comfortable with the ritual. But don't ask him to walk with me. Mm -mm. Don't walk with me. I think it's a wonderful thing. When I call out to God, he hears me. I think that's a beautiful thing. He hears me. The great God of the universe listens to our prayers. When we praise Him, when we give thanks, when we're in joy, He hears us. When we are in fear and we go to Him, He hears us. When we're in pain, we go to Him, He hears us. When all we can do is whimper, He hears us. He answers the prayer on the battlefield. He answers the prayer at bedtime. He told us to call upon Him. Look at verse 18. He says it over and over again. Call upon me. Call upon me. Call upon me. Call upon me. I'll answer you. He gives us access to Him. Do you see how beautiful that is? Just before that great prayer that Paul had in Ephesians 3, I showed you there from verse 14 on. Verse number 12 said this. We have boldness and confidence access through faith in Him. Paul says, I can pray for you. I can walk right into His presence right now, boldly and confidently, because He's given me access. The writer of the book of Hebrews said it in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 10. Therefore, brethren, since we have this confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and then in chapter 4 of the same book of Hebrews, verse 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a God who has opened wide the door of access to Him. He says, I want to be near you. I want to be near you. My door is wide open. Just come on in. They used to uh, criticize Abraham Lincoln for this policy he had with his children. Here they say he would be in his Oval Office in a very important meeting with all these important people, and in runs one of his kids. And they'd crawl up on his lap. And it wasn't uncommon that one of them was under the, the desk 
where his feet were during the whole meeting. And they said, oh, that should, we should be more dignified about that. Abraham Lincoln, that's my child. There's our God. A picture, small, tiny. But he himself has followed through with our need here. It's not that we understand, let's go convince him to be near to us. But who is the one calling today? He is. He's the one saying, draw near. Come here. Let me help you. Let me be near to you. I want to be near to you. Come, come, come. What kind of answer do we give to such an invitation? I don't want to be like Jeremiah's friends and say no. Do you? I don't want to be like that. Spurgeon said, divinely practical shall his nearness be. For he will work through deliverance. He will listen to their piteous cry. And then will send salvation from every ill. This he will do himself personally. He will not trust them to angels or saints. I, I just love this. When the Lord says, we've got to save these people. That's my paraphrase. He says, I'm going to save them. He didn't send some angel to die for you, did he? He didn't say, you know, this saint, that saint, let him take the place. No. He sent his own son. Because he said, I want them near to me. To me. Personally, you do, you, you do see this, don't you? This psalm has been crying it out all the way through. God wants to be near you. Don't just look at it theologically and say, of course he's everywhere. But think of the greatness of the invitation. He is near. He is near. I hope you can hear these things today. Some people may sit there today, I realize, and say, well, it doesn't really mean a thing to me. But I do know there are some people here today that this is resonating in their heart right now. They said, that's what I needed to hear. That's what I needed to hear. I wanted to know that the Lord is near and He wants to be. I want to know how great He is in this experience I can have with Him. It's forged in difficult days sometimes. I know it. Sometimes you've called, sometimes you've cried. You sought relief. You needed deliverance. You, you, you went to the place where that ought to be. It's your Lord. Why else does he say, praise the Lord? Praise the Lord! He keeps saying that in the psalm because he's so great. And our heart needs to respond to that. I did tell you his greatness was unsearchable, didn't I? It goes far beyond our feeble attempts to try to describe it. And I, I realize how that is. But I want you to test him. He tells us to. Test him and see if his nearness is even greater than you can fathom. Say yes to his invitation to walk with him. You will be learning of his character every moment when he is near like that. Because when he says that he is near, let it be known he would never fail to be near. He is great at being near. 
He will always be near and nothing less than that. Because he just described himself, didn't he? The Lord is near. The whole point is, even when you don't know why, you can still know who he is. If we don't believe this, if we don't live in light of this, who's going to tell our children that he's near? Who's going to tell our grandkids that he's near? You know why? It comes back to us again, doesn't it? Our responsibility to respond to this. Because we have a generation that needs to hear it too. This too we should walk in. A lesson that we all need. A lesson our generations need. We get to praise him because he's near. So that our children, our grandchildren to know he gets a praise. That he's near them too. Okay? I I went nine minutes short on Sunday school, so I'd have seven minutes today to go over the hour. I had to fill it somehow. Folks, let it not be a ritual. Let it be a relationship. All right? Heavenly Father, your word is right before us. And here's where our hearts decide. Do we walk with you or do we not? Do we acknowledge that you are near? Or do we not? Everyone in this room has that question in their heart right now. Every single one will answer that. Even before they walk out of this room. So I pray, Lord, that you would draw us like you can and like you do. And help us to see. How great you are. Thank you for giving us such an invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.